Would you turn to Luke chapter 22? We're picking up our studies uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And we come to verse 54. Jesus uh, is denied by Peter. But just to remind us, I want you to go back to verse 31, and we'll read that little section first. So Luke chapter 22 and uh, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And then over to verse 54. Uh, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Amen. You'll know that the uh, Catholic Church teaches that the office of Supreme Pontiff of the Church has been handed uh, down directly from Peter, who was the first pope. And they base that on the words of the Lord. You remember Jesus asked the disciples the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter, answering on behalf of the disciples, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says uh, to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son uh, of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Uh, You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, there's a little play on words there because the word Peter means rock. Now, I don't think that verse teaches apostolic succession, that Peter would be the first pope, and then that would be passed down through succeeding generations to the present pope. But it does teach that Peter and the apostles were to be the foundation on which the church was Uh, to be built, that Peter and his confession was the rock on which Christ would build his church, that he and the other apostles would be crucial in the formation and laying the foundation for the church of Jesus Christ. But it's important for us to understand that that Peter quality, that rock-like quality, which was so essential in providing a firm foundation, was something that didn't come naturally to Peter. In fact, by nature, he was the very opposite of rock light. He was impulsive. He was unstable. He was impetuous. He was, as one commentator says, unstable as water. 
But just as his name was changed from Simon to Peter, so in grace God was going to change him from a person of instability to a person of rock-like stability on which the church would be built. Now, this morning in our studies in Luke, we come to another incident in which we see Peter's instability manifested. That instability, which has been characteristic of Peter throughout this gospel, is once again seen in this passage. Here, Peter falls, and he falls spectacularly. He not only denies being associated with Jesus, but he denies even knowing Jesus and denies him in the strongest possible terms. So this morning, we come to a portion that records for us what St. Ferguson calls the crumbling rock, where Peter the rock crumbles in the face of the temptation that he uh, is uh, inflicted with. I want you to notice three things then this morning, the background to his fall, the reason for his fall, and the recovery from his fall. So first of all, the background to his fall. Now, it's important for us to understand that the story of uh, Peter's fall doesn't begin in verse 54 with the arrest of Jesus. There is a, a backstory, there is a, a background, uh, a history to all of this. Satan has already been laying uh, a foundation in Peter's life for the temptation that is to come. He had prepared Peter by giving him a proud and overconfident heart when it came to this particular temptation. Now, that overconfidence is seen in a number of ways. First of all, he thought it could never happen to him. You see that in verse 31, the portion that we read uh, at first. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, uh, strengthen your brothers. Here, Jesus solemnly and directly tells Peter that he is going to fall. Now, he gives him confidence that he will be restored because he says, when you turn back, strengthen the brothers. But nevertheless, there is a, 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 a direct, explicit warning that he would fall from the Lord, who Peter knew for three years, who never had been wrong about anything. And what is Peter's reaction? Verse 33, but Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and death. No way, Lord. If I'm incarcerated or executed, I will never, never deny you. I am willing to endure Satan's sifting. Don't worry about me, Lord. You can trust me. You can depend on me. You can rely on me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, uh, we read, even if all fall away on account of you, Peter says, I never will. I don't know about these others, but you can rely on me. I'm never going to fall. Do you see his overconfidence? He thought it could never happen to me. I will go to prison, and I will die rather than disown you. I know myself better than you know me, Jesus. It's never going to happen to me. Oh, really, Peter? Verse 34, I tell you, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied me three times. Peter had forgotten two things. 
He had forgotten the weakness of the flesh and the strength of the devil. So, you see that overconfidence in Peter, thinking that it would never happen to him, could never happen to him. Secondly, you see it in his neglect of private prayer. You remember in our study last week in the account of Gethsemane, uh, we read in verse 45, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, Luke condenses, abbreviates the account of Gethsemane and focuses upon the anguish of the Lord. But Matthew and Mark tell us that on three occasions, Jesus left them to pray, and on each occasion, when He returned, He found them uh, sleeping. In fact, Matthew tells us that one of the rebukes of Jesus was directed specifically to Peter. Could you not keep watch with me one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus three times warned them about temptation, three times asked them to pray, and on three occasions he came back and found them sleeping. And I would suggest to you that Peter's overconfidence in the face of temptation led him to neglect the place of private prayer. If we really believed that we are weak and vulnerable, that we are helpless worms and are no match for the devil, then we would pray. If we really understood what Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, we would pray. Of course, Peter and the other disciples were sleeping from excessive sorrow, from that emotional turmoil that they experienced. But if, if they knew how vulnerable they were, would they not push themselves through that sleep barrier and pray? You see, prayer is a confession of our own weakness. It's a spreading of our helplessness before God. John Bunyan calls prayer the shield of the soul. So, his overconfidence is seen in thinking that it would never happen to him, in his neglect of the use of prayer, and thirdly, by putting himself into the place of temptation. Look at verse 54 and 55. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when uh, they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Here we find Peter following our Lord after his arrest at a distance, afar off, says the authorized version. He realizes something of the danger. He doesn't want to get too close. He follows at a distance. But then in verse 55, he enters the courtyard of the high priest and sat down and warmed himself by the fire. Houses in those days were either a square or a rectangular shape with the uh, accommodation buildings around the, the perimeter. And then the center of the house was open to the sky. It was a courtyard. It was secure behind the four walls before the blocks of accommodation, but it was still part of the house. And so, our Lord is initially brought before Annas, the former high priest, who was really the power behind the throne. Then Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who was the official high priest. And Peter sits down 
in the high priest's accommodation and warms himself at the fire. Spurgeon says Peter was on dangerous ground. When his master was being buffeted, he made himself comfortable and sat down with his enemies. In fact, in John's account, it seems that our Lord had given strong indications that the disciples should not follow. When the officials came to arrest him, he says, let these men go. Peter had no business being there, and yet he, he follows Jesus right into the enemy territory and warms himself at the fire of the enemy. So confident was he that he put himself into the very crucible of temptation. He thought he could handle it. And the other disciples except John, all the other disciples except John had, had um, fled, but Peter puts himself in enemy territory. Blair, Robert Blair Mayen, Paddy Mayen was one of the founders of the SAS, and he was from Newtonards, and uh, outside the old courthouse in Newtonards, there's a statue to Paddy Mayen. But there's a, there was a lady in Bethany who told me that her dad served with Paddy Mayen during the war. And she told the story of Paddy Mayen and four other soldiers, SAS soldiers, coming up to, uh, behind enemy lines to the German headquarters. And uh, and so he uh, walked on. Only Paddy Main could speak German, so he walks on, and the, the soldier, the sentry at the door, salutes him. Paddy Main then turned round and rebuked the soldier for not asking for ID and a breach of security, and none of them had ID. It was reckless. It was foolish. There was a mixture of uh, bravery and, and recklessness. But if the Lord taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, then it's a reckless thing to put ourselves into the place of temptation. And when Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he dropped his coat and he got out of there as quick as he could. Peter was over confident. He thought he could handle it. He was the Paddy man among the apostles. His faith and confidence were in himself, and he thought he was strong enough to resist the devil's temptations. It will never happen to me. I don't need to pray. I'm able to go into the very crucible of temptation and remain loyal to Jesus. That overconfident attitude led to spiritual disaster. He was presumptuous and proud and thought he was beyond temptation. Proverbs 14, sorry, Proverbs 16 and verse 18 says that pride goes before a fall. Pride led him to be careless about Christ's warnings, to neglect the use of prayer, and to actually put himself into the place of temptation. It was said that Napoleon lost the Battle of Waterloo because of overconfidence, that he had medals minted celebrating the victory before he even faced the British on the, on the battlefield. And that was Peter. He was a proud and presumptuous man. I wonder if I'm speaking to any Christian here this morning, and that's your attitude. It could never happen to me. There is no way that I would fall and deny the Lord. Really? 
I don't need to pray. I'm strong. I I will never yield to that temptation. Really? I can go to and put myself in, in the places of temptation. I can go to that club. I can dance with that girl. I can watch that TV program, but it's never going to happen to me. Really? That's recklessness. That's foolishness. And that's dangerous. You don't realize how weak you are and how vulnerable you are. If any man thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall, Paul says in 1 Corinthians and verse 10. You and I are vulnerable when it comes to temptation. You and I are weak without prayer. You and I will not stand if the circumstances are right in that in the place of temptation. Let's beware of spiritual pride. If you think you're doing well spiritually, you're not doing as well as you think. There is no room in our lives for spiritual complacency and spiritual overconfidence. We are no match for the devil. We need the Lord. We need to pray, and we need to avoid the place of temptation, the background to the fall. The second thing I want you to notice is the reason for the fall. Peter is a classic example of what we call peer pressure. The dictionary defines peer pressure as being overconfident and confident and unduly influenced by those around you. You know, before 1995, when the Irish played uh, a rugby match, they sang the Irish national anthem, which was the soldier's song. That was replaced in 1995 for the Rugby World Cup uh, by Ireland's call. But one of our pastors was telling me that his son was down in Lansdowne Road in Dublin to watch um, Ireland play England. And so the two national anthems were played. And so John said to his son, what did you do when they played um, the soldier's song? He said, I stood, but I didn't sing. And then he said, well, what did you do when they played God Save the Queen? And he said, I sat and I hummed it quietly. (laughs) Peer pressure. He was a victim of peer pressure, surrounded by others of a different opinion, and he modified his behavior uh, uh, because of those influences. The Bible calls that the fear of man. Peter fell as a victim of peer pressure because a fear of man overtook his heart. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. I want you to notice the progression that took place in Peter's temptation. I, I, I think it's important for us to notice that Peter was by himself, that he was isolated and away from the other disciples. We know from John's gospel that one of the disciples, who we identify as John, who had connections with the high priest, had managed to get Peter into the courtyard, but he had gone into the high priest's house and left Peter all alone in the courtyard, warming himself by the fire. So he's alone. He's exposed. There's no one there for moral support. When the Lord was there in the garden, when he was surrounded by the other disciples, he drew his sword and he struck a blow for Jesus in the face, remember, last week we said of perhaps up to 700 uh, troops. But 
Now there's no one here to encourage him, to strengthen to him, embolden him, to spur him on. He's alone and vulnerable. That's why God has put us into churches. That's why church is important, because if you're isolated, you're more susceptible to temptation. That's just a, a basic thing. Secondly, the first temptation, notice, comes from an unexpected source. Verse 56, then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was with him. Now, John tells us that this was the same girl that admitted him into the courtyard. With all the commotion, she had let him into the high priest's property, but in the firelight, she recognized him and said, this man was with him. Perhaps she's a bit worried after all the commotion that Peter might cause a disturbance, and she'll get into trouble for allowing this breach of security. And Peter denies knowing Jesus. He could have said, he should have said, well, yes, I do know him. He could have turned it into an opportunity for witness. I, I, I know him. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what he did for my mother-in-law. Let me tell you about feeding a multitude with a boy's lunch. Let me tell you about him walking on water. Let me tell you about him stilling the storm. Let me tell you about his miracles and his raising the dead. But no, none of those things are mentioned. He denied even knowing uh, the Lord. At that moment, he feared man more than he feared God. And when, in fact, when you think about it for a moment, uh, he feared not a man, but a woman, not a prominent woman, but a slave, and not a mature woman, a slip of a girl. Fear gripped his heart, and he denied knowing Jesus. But notice, too, there is a progression one denial leads to another. A single lie to a single girl becomes a flurry of lies to the crowd. It begins with the denial to uh, the, the, the girl, and it ends with him denying him publicly before the crowd in oath, uh, with oaths and curses, as the other Gospels tell us. An oath is positive. I swear to God that I don't know him. A curse is negative. May God damn me and mine if I know him. In fact, there's an indication in Mark's gospel that he actually cursed Jesus. I don't know that blasted man, he says. We know from John's gospel the last accusation came from a relative of the high priest's servant who you remember Peter had cut his ear off in the, the garden. It's all getting intense. Panic is setting in, and his denials are becoming stronger and stronger. There's this progression uh, into sin. He's being led down a spiral of increasing wickedness and, and stronger denials. Now, we need to understand that those denials didn't happen all at once and in the same place. As I said, Luke condenses uh, the account. And when you compare that to the other gospel records, you discover that it took, these denials took place over two hours and in different places in the courtyard. Why he lingered instead when he failed with the girl, we don't know. But he did. 
stay, and he was led into deeper sin. Perhaps like so many of us, there was a mixture of fear and faith, of love and betrayal in his heart, and he wanted to stay and see what happened to Jesus. Our motives and our desires when it comes to temptation can be so hard to explain, so hard to justify, so hard to understand at times. All we know is that through the fear of man, Peter denied the Lord three times. You ever denied the Lord? By lip or by life, the fear of man can have a powerful influence in our lives. Evil triumphs, said Edward Burke, the British-Irish politician, when good men say nothing. To keep quiet and say nothing when the conversation turns to spiritual things. To not object when the talk becomes outrageous and blasphemous. To laugh at their jokes. To go to that place. To do that thing just because everybody else is doing it. Have you ever denied the Lord in that way? I've denied Him like that. I think I've denied Him numerous occasions, but two times stand out. When I was first converted, I must have been a Christian two or three weeks, I was at school with Gordon Dara, the former, former Baptist Missions director, and uh, we were standing in a line to go into a classroom, and Gordon was witnessing to these fellows who were all mouth and no brain, you know, just their comments were crude and blasphemous and hurtful. And I threw in my tuppence worth, young that I was as a Christian. And one of the fellows, because well, I would have been doing that two weeks before, one of the fellows turned to me and he said, Curry, it was, a, it was an all-boys school, so you addressed each other by your surname. He said, Curry, he says, you're not a Christian, are you? By the tone, I knew it was such a negative thing. And I said, no, I'm not. And I, I, I remember the sheer look of disappointment on Gordon's face. Another time, when I'd come back to, from Australia to start university, was thrown out of university and worked as a technician in an electronics firm in Bangor, they had um, a, a Miss World lottery, do you know, where everybody would pick a I can't think of anything more degrading for, for women than a beauty contest. But anyway, it was then. And they had a, a Miss World lottery so that you were given a name for a pound. And then the winner of the Miss World competition, which was to be announced that next night, they would be um, given the prize money. And it might have do a fair amount of money at that time. And I was... Um, so she came to me at my desk and said, do you want to?" And rather, starting work, rather than taking my stand, just like Peter, I crumbled and I handed over the pound. Gambling. But I won. <laughs> I, I was mortified. He ever denied the Lord through peer pressure? Well, let me give you two pieces of advice. You must fear God more than you fear man. Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 48, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy body and soul in hell. 
Remember Elijah comes marching into Ahab's court, stands before Ahab's throne, the most powerful man in Israel, but he says, as the Lord God lives before whom I stand, I stand before you, King Ahab, but I stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Secondly, always keep the work of Christ, the person of Christ, and the work of Christ before you. At time in school, when I denied him so publicly and became such a disappointment to Gordon Dara, my reading that night was on the crucifixion of Jesus. And it just, just melted my heart. How could I deny him who had gone through so much for me? And to meditate and to think about the cross work of Jesus put steel into your back and strength into your bones. Thomas Kelly's great hymn, we sing the praise of him who died, of him who died upon the cross, the sinner's hope. Let men deride, for this we count the world but loss. It makes the card spirit brave and nerves the feeble arm for fight. It takes the terror from the grave and gills the bed of death with light. A fear of God and a love of Christ, an appreciation of his work gives us strength in the face of peer pressure. The background to the fall, the reason for the fall. The third thing I want you to notice quickly is the recovery from the fall. Now, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? Well, Peter repented, and Judas did not. Judas felt remorse, but he didn't experience repentance, and that repentance was a process. It didn't happen immediately. It took place over a period of time. And we see it beginning here in the passage. Remember, it's, it reaches, as David reminded us last week in the table, it reaches its climax with breakfast in the beach where Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my, my sheep. But I notice it's beginning here. Look at, look at verse um, 60. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. God is the God of providence. And he orders circumstances in such a way that he can speak to us through the circumstances of life. And in this passage, two remarkable providences, the world dismisses them as coincidences, but two providences take place. On the third denial, the strongest possible denial, the rooster began to crow, just as Jesus had predicted back in verse 34. The second coincidence was, just as that rooster had crowed, Jesus was being led across the the courtyard. He was in the home of Annas. Annas was removed by the Romans. He was the high priest, but he was removed by the Romans and was replaced by his son-in-law, Caiaphas. That's why um, the New Testament speaks about high priests, plural. There should have only been one but, but Annas was still alive. He was the real power behind the throne. He, Jesus is taken to him. And then he's led across the courtyard, the high priest's house, to Caiaphas's quarters. And just as he's walking along across the courtyard, 
uh, Peter is vehemently in the strongest possible terms, with a curled lip, with hatred in his heart, with a glaring eye, he's denying the Lord. The cock crows, he looks up, and he catches the eye of Jesus. What a look. What, what a look. The cock crowed, Jesus looked, and Peter remembered. I wonder what that look was like, a, a knowing look. I told you, Peter. I told you it would happen. A disappointed look. Peter, I told you you would deny me, but did you have to deny me so strongly? A searching look. Do do you really love me, Peter? Do you really love me? A compassionate look. Did, Did Peter detect in the eyes of the Lord something not only of his disappointment, of his... Did he see something of his love? Now, Jesus had just been before Annas. He had been beaten, bruised. His lips were swollen. He was covered in spit. But did he see something of the tenderness of Jesus? He looked. He looked. And he saw the Lord. I think he did. Because that look precipitated in Peter's heart great remorse. He, he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who feel the weight and the guilt of their sin, because they shall be comforted. David said in Psalm 51, after his great failure, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That there's tenderness in Jesus. And Campbell Morgan makes the point, you know, that not only did the Lord look at Peter, but Peter looked at the Lord. On first glimpse, did Peter, Peter might have been tempted to hang his head down, to turn away in disgust with himself. But he looked, and he held that look, and he saw something in the eyes of Jesus that indicated he was willing to forgive. And he went out and wept bitterly. You know, there's some people, and they, they feel they've sinned, and they've let the Lord down, and they've disappointed the Lord. And so they turn from the Lord, feeling unworthy to re-embrace the Lord. But you need to look to the Lord to taste his compassion and to feel his forgiveness. You need to look to him and to trust in him again, to know that a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. I find this tremendously encouraging. As I said in a previous study, failure is not final. And I don't care how far you've gone, how far you've wandered, how hard your heart has been. I want you to look to Jesus, and I want you to see in Jesus compassion, tenderness, and grace, that none can sink so far that's beyond the reach of His grace. That look, that look. Jesus looked, and Peter went out and went bitterly. The background to his fall overconfident. The reason for his fall, he succumbed 
to peer pressure and the recovery, the beginning of the recovery, he went out and wept bitterly. Amen.